0: If you have your Bible uh, with you, uh, it would be helpful to have it open at Mark's Gospel, Chapter 2. And as I said, uh, in this chapter, we are introduced uh, for the first time in Mark's Gospel to Jesus' main enemies, uh, the Pharisees. Uh, now, the Pharisees uh, were a uh, Jewish subgroup who prided themselves on their observance of the Old Testament law. Uh, They considered themselves, and others who looked at them considered them, to be the holiest and most righteous of all the people in Israel. Uh, They were uh, serious about God's word and of Keeping and about keeping god 's law, but we see that they were the main opponents of Christ in his ministry and in the verses we read from Mark chapter two verse thirteen to the end of the chapter, uh, we are given an account of uh, three occasions when the Pharisees were offended by the behavior of Jesus and his disciples Uh, three times over they complain to him and they um, object to the way he and his disciples are behaving and each time Christ defends their behavior and he shows them that although they thought it was Christ and his disciples who were in the wrong actually it was the Pharisees themselves Who didn't see things right Uh, it was they who were sick and not Christ and those who followed him Uh, for example they complained first of all that Jesus and his disciples ate with sinners but Jesus showed them that it was their hearts which were sick Uh, they didn't love as they should uh, next, they complained that Jesus' disciples didn't fast like they and others did. But Jesus shows them that their eyes were dim. Uh, they could not see very well. They did not understand that the situation had changed. And lastly, they complained that the disciples didn't keep the Sabbath day rule clearly written in God's word, that they didn't keep it correctly. But Jesus shows them that their ears were sick, uh, that their ears were blocked. They couldn't hear scripture very well. Uh, And in each of these ways, Jesus shows the Pharisees how the problem lay with them. Their hearts were sick, their eyes were sick, and their ears were sick. And that's really where we want to be going this evening, just looking at each of those areas how each of these objections of the Pharisees, far from showing where Christ was wrong, actually demonstrated their own sickness. Uh, So let's look at the first instance. We can find this in verses 13 to 17. And we're told in verse 13 that Jesus went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them and he passes by a tax booth. Now, presumably, from this passage, it seems that in the area there would be these places of custom where the tax collectors who were hated by the Jews, and understandably, I think none of us has any great love for tax collectors, but it's necessary, but none of us like it. And that was especially the case in the time of the Jews because their rulers were the Romans and the tax collectors had to work for the Romans and tax collectors were despised by the Jewish people they were seen as sellouts as traitors and often they were dishonest as we learn from Zacchaeus one of the characters uh, in Luke's Gospel and yet As Jesus walks by this tax booth and sees the tax collector, Levi, sitting at it, he says to him, follow me. And we're told that Levi gets up and he follows Christ. Just an aside, by the way, this is something that Jesus does all the time. Not just in the Gospels, but every day today as well. Uh, Christ delights to call people who you don't expect. Uh, we sort of naturally think that uh, Christ uh, saves people like uh, sweet little Miss Smith who works in the charity shop and uh, perhaps um, does many good and kind things to those around. But then God goes and saves a uh, Saul of Tarsus as he's en route to slaughter a group of Christians. Uh, Christ doesn't save those who we always expect him to save. Um, And it was like that here. Uh, He sees this tax collector who many of the other Jews would have passed over on the other side and would have had nothing to do with him, but not Christ. He calls to him and he says, come, follow me, and Matthew does he obeys he leaves a tax booth and he follows Christ and we learn in verse 15 that he invites Jesus to his home and not just Jesus he invites um, a lot of his tax collector friends to join them and they all have a meal in Levi's house with Jesus and his disciples and all these tax collectors and sinners as they're described in verse 15. Jesus accepts The invitation. This is where the Pharisees get offended. The Pharisees do not like the fact that Jesus is willing to associate with tax collectors and sinners. The reason was simple. Because the Pharisees believed that God's hatred of sin, which is so clear in the Bible, his hatred of sin meant that sinners must be avoided like the plague sin is so evil we must keep our distance from sinners or those they decided were sinners and so when they saw Jesus associating with them eating with them these people they deemed to be sinners they assumed that he must be one as well Now, to be absolutely clear, uh, both the Pharisees and Christ agreed that sin is evil, that there is no excuse for sin, and that sin deserves the righteous wrath of God. The Pharisees and Christ were completely agreed on that. Where they differed was how they responded to sinners, therefore. The fact that sin was bad caused the Pharisees to withdraw from all the people they thought were particularly bad sinners. But the fact that sin was bad caused Jesus to embrace them. Because as he said to them, those who, have well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... They didn't disagree on the evil of sin. Where they disagreed was there in their response to it. The Pharisees responded with disgust and with withdrawal. Jesus responded with love and with compassion and with a desire that those who are lost would be found, that those who are sick would be made well. The Pharisees, it seemed, didn't care. They didn't care that the lost would be found or that the sick would be made well. All they cared about, that they were not tainted by them. This is what I mean when I say the Pharisees demonstrated they had a sick heart. To be clear again, Jesus is in no way condoning sin here. He's not saying the sin, the theft or whatever it was Uh, of the tax collectors, was right. Nevertheless, he was saying they need a saviour, and he wanted to be their saviour. What does it say? Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't want them to stay as they were. He wanted them to turn to him. But in order for that to happen... He had to go to where they were. He had to approach them. The Pharisees, however, washed their hands of them and just kept as far away as possible. Jesus had a heart of love. The Pharisees had a heart of pride. That was the distinction between them. And so Jesus exposes the sickness of their heart. And let's ask ourselves the same question this morning. Uh, How do we respond to the sin around us? Uh, It can uh, be tempting to sort of hold our hands up in sort of holy horror and despise the sin and the sinners around us, sometimes as though we ourselves were not sinners. But do we have a compassion for such people? Uh, Do we have a compassion for people who are blind, the Bible says? People who in their blindness follow their own desires, their own inclinations, who the Bible says the devil has blinded, that they might not see the light of the truth. Do we love such people? Do we love them enough to approach them with the truth, to befriend such people that they might know the truth, Or do we just hold them at arm's length and try not to be tainted by them? Even though we, of course, have plenty of sin of our own. We can see how we can have a similar attitude to the Pharisees if we are not careful. Let's be like Jesus, who said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's have the courage and compassion to approach people who are going down the wrong path, going down a dark path, that they might return to the light. But that leads to the second uh, criticism the Pharisees had of Jesus. Uh, might be in the same day, it might have been another day, but we read what happened next in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and all the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, the Pharisees had uh, particular specific days of fasting and prayer. And it's worth mentioning that, uh, as far as I've been able to discover, the Old Testament uh, does not command a particular time of fasting except on the Day of Atonement for the Jews. On the Day of Atonement, they were required to fast. Uh, but otherwise it was a the ch- left to the choice of the individual uh, but in their quest for holiness the pharisees regularly fasted and prayed and took great pride in their fasts and in their prayers but they noticed that jesus disciples never fast uh, they didn't fast on tuesdays and th- or mondays and thursdays like many of the pharisees did Uh, they didn't at all and the Pharisees uh, eager to find any fault they could with Jesus because they were jealous of him they point this out and they say look your disciples they do not fast implying that something is wrong with his teaching they hated Jesus so much they were looking for anything to pin on him it's very easy to do that, by the way. Uh, it's very easy to see people who we are suspicious of, uh, people who, for whatever reason, we dislike, and then we look for things to justify our suspicion. Uh, but that's obviously getting things the wrong wrong way round. Uh, we shouldn't dislike someone and then find reasons to support our dislike. Instead, we should go to God's words, listen to the things which God hates, uh, learn what it is that God condemns, and then live accordingly. And not find reasons to dislike those who we simply dislike for other reasons. But sadly, that is what the Pharisees did. Their jealousy got the better of them, and they criticised what Jesus did. And his disciples are doing. But look at Jesus' response. Look at verse nineteen. It says And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? In essence, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Your eyes are not working very well. You're not recognising what is happening right now. Ultimately, you do not recognize who I am. In essence, what Jesus is saying is that there is a time and a place for fasting. Jesus isn't condemning the practice of fasting. The Bible frequently talks about the benefits and the um, uh, commendableness, if that's a word, of fasting and prayer. Uh, it's something that we should do. But Jesus says there's a time and a place for it. look what he says in verse 21. He says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. See, that's a very strange thing to say. What, what does Jesus mean by the wineskins and the cloth? We can perhaps understand the, the picture. Uh, we know that if you put new wine into old wineskins, uh, there's a danger that the new wine, the richness of the new wine, will burst the old wine skin. Or perhaps easier to imagine the cloth, when you have an old piece of cloth, you don't want to stitch a new piece of cloth to it, because the difference in ages means that one will tear away from the other. They're mismatched, as it were. You might think, well, what's that got to do with fasting? What Jesus is saying is that fasting is good in its right place. But the right place is not when the bridegroom is there. When the bridegroom is there, that is the time for feasting. That is a time for joy, not a time for fasting. Fasting is generally associated with humility, uh, with times of sorrow and repentance and uh, of humbling ourselves before God. Uh, We have times in the Old Testament of fasting and times of feasting. One is a time of humbling, the other is a time of rejoicing. And Jesus is saying, I'm the king, I am the bridegroom, and I have come, so it's not fitting for my disciples to fast while I'm here. That would be like fasting at a wedding feast. That's the worst time to fast, because a wedding feast is supposed to be a time of joy. And of rejoicing in the wedding, in the bride and the bridegroom. Jesus is saying, now that I am here, it is not the time or the place for fasting. But notice what he says. He says the time will come. Uh, Look at verse 20. He says, or I'll read from verse 19. He says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Uh, This is why Christians do fast today. Uh, We don't have special appointed times. We do it uh, in our own times based on our own relationship with God, um, based on our own walk with him. It's not prescribed when or how. But we fast because the bridegroom is no longer with us. He's preparing a place for us in heaven the days kind of come when he's going to return there will be no more fasting uh, if you want a slightly silly perhaps uh, example uh, it'll be a little bit like uh, you'll see remember the days of the uh, height of the pandemic where we uh, many of us had to use zoom and uh, it was better than nothing to see our loved ones on a screen but how ridiculous would it be If last Christmas, say, uh, everyone brought their laptops as they went to their family meal and talked to each other over... I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in some families, but it shouldn't happen. How ridiculous it would be if a family gathered and spoke to each other through Zoom while Matt gathered in the same house. That would ruin the benefit of meeting together in the first place. Do you see how... In its time, in its place, it's good and it's helpful, but not in the wrong place. Uh, let to give another example. We celebrated communion this morning, didn't we? And in communion, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. But when Christ returns again, we won't continue to do the Lord's table. Uh, that'd be ridiculous, because Christ will be there with us, we can do away with bread and wine at that point because we have he himself with us we will feast with him in person do you see how doing communion then would be like putting new wine in old wine skins it just doesn't fit it just doesn't work it's mixing the wrong things together when christ comes we will not need that anymore Just like you don't need a torch when the sun has risen. That's what Christ is teaching the Pharisees here. He's saying you're not telling the time very well. Your eyes are dim. You're not recognizing who I am. The reason my disciples are not fasting is because I have arrived. The king is here. The bridegroom is here. So of course they are not fasting. Open your eyes. Understand the situation. Jesus is showing them that their eyes are sick. Not only is their heart sick because they cannot love as they should, but their eyes are sick. They cannot recognize Christ for who he is. But that leads to the third and last situation, the last confrontation in this chapter of Christ and the Pharisees. Look at verse 23. It says, "'Now it happened that he went through the grain fields "'on the Sabbath, "'and as they went, "'his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain.'" And the Pharisee said to them, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, Jesus' disciples are walking through a grain field, and as the disciples are walking by, they're they're plucking the heads of grain and they're rubbing it between their fingers, and they are separating the chaff from the wheat itself, and they're eating some of the kernels. And sure enough, there's a Pharisee immediately over their shoulder saying, They're doing what is not lawful. On the Sabbath. You might wonder, well, what's the big deal? Why are they complaining about this seemingly very small act? And it wasn't theft, by the way. It wasn't theft that was their problem. There was provision in the Old Testament law that wheat fields could provide for the people. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that it was on the Sabbath, it was on a Saturday. And of course, in the Pharisees' mind, If you're plucking grain and rubbing it between your fingers, what are you doing? Well, you're harvesting. You're threshing. And that's work, at least in their minds. And work was forbidden on the Sabbath day. And so immediately they point, as it were, to God's word, and they say, God said you must not work. Look what your disciples are doing. We see that the Pharisees' ears tuned wrongly and that's what Jesus points out to them because Jesus responds to them with scripture himself look at verse 25 it says but he said to them have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry he and those with him how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Uh, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, to the passage which speaks of David when he's running away from King Saul with his men. Uh, And he goes in his hunger and his need to the tabernacle of God. And in the tabernacle there was the showbread, which was put in the temple, and it was supposed to be only eaten by the priests. Uh, It was there to sit on the table, and then when the day was ended, then the priests could eat from the bread, but no one else. But David and his men are hungry. They've been traveling. They're running away from King Saul, and in their need, they come to Abiathar, the high priest, and Abiathar gives them of the showbread. He gives them this bread which was reserved for the priests. But he's not condemned for it. He's not judged for it. Because that high priest understood the spirit of the law even though he was breaking the letter of it. God never intended that law of the showbread to mean someone else starves. Uh, God says that the Second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And all the other commandments flow from that. So it would be nonsense if in an effort to obey this ceremonial command, they neglected the greater command to love your neighbor as yourself. And Abiathar understood this. He understood the spirit of the law, even as he broke the letter of it. Sadly, the Pharisees uh, got so caught up with the minutiae of God's law and the the little words that they missed the spirit of it. They missed the heart that lay behind God's commands. And it can be easy to do that, surprisingly easy to do that. I think I've shared this story before. I'm not sure if it's true, but it might be, Uh, it could well be. Uh, The story of some monks who used to follow the practice of their old master. And with awe each morning they would see him uh, lay a saucer of milk on his windowsill before he began his morning prayers. And so great was their reverence for their master that his disciples decided to do the same thing. And before their prayers they would lay a saucer of milk on their windowsills, and this uh, ritual continued long after the old monk's death. Uh, Eventually people started to wonder, why do we lay this saucer of milk on the windowsill? And it was discovered that the old monk had had a pet cat, who had long since died, and the saucer of milk was for his cat. It had nothing to do with his devotion to God. But in misguided zeal, his disciples had taken that tradition, as it were, of his, and had made it into a law of their lives, because they had missed the purpose behind it. Now that's a silly example, but it happens more often than we might think, where we attach a great significance to certain outward acts which God never commanded. And yet forget the heart which God truly cares about. That we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And love our neighbour as ourselves. That's the beating spirit behind all God's commands. But the Pharisees, they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear God's word properly. They knew these laws, many of them off by heart. And yet they missed the wood for the trees. They thought their ears were finely tuned, but they concentrated so much on the individual notes, they failed to hear the broader symphony. They thought they saw better than anyone else. They thought they heard better than anyone else. Yet they failed to see the Messiah when he came. They failed to recognise the Messiah, who the whole Old Testament was pointing to. They thought they were righteous, but their hearts were sick. And that sums up all of Christ's dealings with the Pharisees. And it's a warning to us today. Uh, Sometimes we can think ourselves righteous, Sometimes we can think ourselves holy. Sometimes we can think that we've got everything sorted and taped up and yet miss what God is truly saying to us. The only solution is to do as Matthew did, or as Levi, should I say, did in verse 14. When Christ said, follow me, he stood up, arose and followed him. The only way we can truly know how we should live is at the feet of Christ, humbly listening to him, not like the Pharisees, criticising his every action, but instead learning from the master. And trustfully, as we continue through the book of Mark, we will do just that. As we listen to Christ's teachings, we will understand the beating heart of God and not be sick as the Pharisees were. But with those thoughts in mind, let's sing our final hymn. And it's hymn number 794. And it really picks up on that final thought. Uh, It's a hymn, uh, but a prayer to God that he would teach us his way and that we would not get distracted by our own. It's number 794. O Jesus, full of truth and grace, more full of grace than I of sin. Yet once again, I seek thy face, open thine arms and take me in. So we'll stand to sing in closing 794.